The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 33, verses 1 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Heather. So earlier this month, one of our members, Richard Beatty, went home to be with the Lord if you knew Richard at all, just thinking about him caused you to smile. He was one of those guys. Um, he had sort of an infectious smile, a, uh, a twinkle in his eye. There was just a humor, a happiness, a joy that seemed to infuse everything that Rich did. So it came as no surprise to me when his wife Nan was t- told me that one of his favorite responses when someone asked him what he was doing was to smile and say, I'm spreading the joy. Now, the way Rich spread the joy was more than by having a good sense of humor. I think of two members of Redeemer that became Christians in large part due to Richard spreading the joy of Christ to them. So one of them, Pam, was a longtime neighbor of Rich's. Nan told me that she invited Pam to church many times, and many times Nan al- or Pam always told her no. So one year she decided she gave Richard the invitation for an Easter service and said, you need to go invite Pam. And so Rich went over there, invited Pam to church, and Pam said, thanks, but uh, I can't come. And so Rich looked at her, and he grinned real big, and he said, why? So she came, and she never left. I I shared that in the first service, Pam was here, and she said he also said he'd take us out to breakfast. So, you know, spreading the joy should not be a unique description for Richard. It should be true for all Christians. Joy is not an optional part of Christianity. Just read the Bible. The Bible is the story of God going to incredibly great lengths to restore the joy of His children. Right? Our sin, our rebellion, it produces heartbreak and misery, but God is not content to leave us in that state, and so He, he sends His Son to bring us joy, to bring us out of despair. Jesus says He comes not to just give us fractional joy, but full, complete joy. So as we continue through the Psalms this morning, we're going to see God's commitment to our joy. But the final verse in last week's Psalm has three commands. So look at Psalm 32, verse 11. We looked at this last week, but here's how it ends. Be glad in the Lord. There's command number one. And rejoice. Command number two, you righteous ones. Shout for joy. Command number three, all you upright in heart. Now, is this how you think about the commands of God? that He commands you to be glad, that He commands you to rejoice, that He commands you to shout for joy? Do you realize that God is more committed to your joy than you are? So our psalm this morning picks up right where Psalm 32 left off. Look at verse, or Psalm 33, verse 1. Rejoice, there's a command, in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. So God commands us to rejoice. God commands us to 
show and feel great delight to be pleased. So let me ask you again, is this how you think about God's commands? Or are you convinced that God wants you to be delighted, that God wants you to be happy, that God wants you to be overcome with pleasure? So I imagine many of us think that the commands of God are actually designed to do the exact opposite. We think that God's commands are there to to keep us from getting too happy. We're like young kids on a go-kart track, right? As a parent, we we go and we put them in their go-kart and we give them some instructions. We say, see how there are tires that are lined up all along both sides of the go-kart track. Those tires are there not simply to protect you, but, but to help you go fast and to have fun. So if you'll, if you'll just press the gas and you'll keep, you'll keep the cart between the tires on either side, you're going to have a blast. And then what happens? We walk away, the light turns green, they step on the gas and they crash into the tires. And everyone else is going fast and there's a teenage worker who slowly trudges out with a look of disgust on his face, he pushes them back to the middle. They press on the gas again, and what happens? They smash into the tires. And this keeps happening. Everyone else is buzzing around. They're having fun, and your child is miserable, not going anywhere. And at the end, they say they're so disgusted with those tires, right? In their immaturity, they blame the tires for their lack of enjoyment when you know it's not the tires, it's your driving See, God God designed for us a path to travel that leads to true, lasting, profound levels of joy. And And He's in His kindness placed protective barriers around the path in order to guide and protect us. But in our immaturity, instead of driving down the path, we keep trying to go our own direction and we crash and then we blame God's guardrails, not our poorer choices. Listen, every single command God gives you is designed to produce joy in your life. God wants you to experience a level of delight beyond what you can imagine. This is why he commands you. Listen, he commands you this morning. Here's what God's telling you to do. Be glad. Be joyful. Be so overcome with delight that you've got to shout about it. That's God's will for you. Now, this deep level of joy, verse 1 tells us, the kind of joy that comes out in shouting because it's so beautiful is fitting. It's fitting because this is what God made us for. He made us to know and desire delightful things and then out of our experience of delight to share them with others. I mean, why do people take pictures of food and post them on social media? You can't taste it. You can't smell it. Sort of like, why do, you watch, why do you watch the Food Network and then you think you know which one should have won? Like, it's a picture. You can't, you don't know what it tastes like. Why do we do this? Well, right, it's, we experience a, a unique kind of delight in good food, right? And we, we want to share it. Now, we don't want to actually pay for someone else to experience it, but we want to share it in some way, so we take a picture of it. We do the same things with vacations and reunions, with graduations and milestones, right? We, we experience delight and then we praise what brings us delight. 
Eric Liddell was an Olympic champion who died as a missionary in a Chinese concentration camp. And his life was immortalized in the film Chariots of Fire. So there's one scene where his sister critiques him because he, he, she says he shouldn't be wasting his life running. He, he's, he's neglecting his religious duties by doing that. And this is how he responds. He says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Like, I think that's a wise and beautiful reflection on God's purpose in creating us with a capacity for deep joy. Like, God wants us to experience delight, and He wires us in such a way that we respond to that which brings us delight by, by telling others about it. Now, one of the ways we express our joy is through music. So when I was in Ireland just a few weeks ago, I had, I had the great delight of, of watching a football game. It's not real football. It's called that. With, uh, with some Liverpool fans. So this was a big game. This was a, this was a final game of the season. They win and someone else loses. They're going to win the championship. And so this was, this was exciting. And it was enjoyable to watch it with them. Well, here's one thing I learned is that before every Liverpool soccer game, all of the crowd that's both there, Liverpool fans, and apparently those in their homes watching on TV, they all sing the song, You'll Never Walk Alone. And honestly, it's, it's quite beautiful. Like, why do we turn to music to express joy and delight? Well, here's why, because that's what God made us to do. Look at verse 2. It says, praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. Music is a God-designed way to express profound joy. So this psalm begins with this command from God to find deep and lasting joy. And the only place he says you'll find it is in him or as you walk the path with him that he designed for you. And then he says, as you experience this joy, you're going to naturally share it with others and express it in songs of praise. Now, he mentions in verses 2 and 3, three different musical instruments, the lyre, the ten-stringed harp, and the strings. And his point is not that we must use those instruments, right? Maybe you heard that and you looked up and you're like, where's the lyre? We're obviously not a biblical church. You know, the point is not that you have to do that, but the point is that you use everything available to express your joy and delight in God. Like there's, there's no one specific type of music that, that should be used for all Christian worship. The point here is that you can take all types of music, all types of instruments and use them as vehicles of praise to God. In fact, the more melodies and harmonies, the more beats and rhythms we can use, the better God is worthy of being praised in every musical style, in every language. Now we're told in verse 3 to sing to him a new song. So as our, as our understanding of God deepens, we look for ways to express, new ways to express our delight in him. And so these new songs are the, the overflow of an ever-deepening relationship with God. So this is one of the ways that we like to introduce new songs into worship. So I thought it was humorous that we sang all old songs today. 
But we like to introduce new songs in worship because we, we want to find new ways to express our joy in God. We want to capture more and more of His goodness and wonder. We long for ways of expressing our delight in Him. Now, now many of these songs we sing on Sundays, over time they're going to fade, and they'll be replaced with other new songs, and that's, that's not a bad thing. What we're saying is we're saying that God is worth the effort of creating new and fresh melodies and lyrics. Old songs are not enough to express our joy in God. We have constantly got to be singing new songs. Now, we also sing new songs because we've been raised from death to walk in the newness of life. New men and women create and sing new songs. Do you know we will never stop singing new songs? Revelation 5 gives us this vision of worship around the throne of God and the multitude of the redeemed, we're told, sing a new song. And here are the words to the new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. So singing to Jesus and saying, you are worthy to unfold God's plan for the ages, only you, why? Because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. So the focus of our new songs is Jesus, specifically his death, burial, and resurrection. We sing about who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished for us. Since our, our songs should flow out of our delight in God, then we praise Jesus who brought us out of death and darkness and into light and life. See, we sing new songs to the one who has made us new and has promised to make all things new. We sing theologically rich songs about the finished work of Jesus on the cross and how it has made us righteous. So the psalm here opens with God commanding us to find joy and then expressing that joy in song. And now the rest of the psalm provides reasons to rejoice in Him. We can identify four reasons to rejoice in God. Here's the first one He can be trusted. He can be trusted. Now, you know this, right? Relationships are messy and difficult, right? They, they create potentially a lot of heartbreak and difficulty, yet we keep investing our time and effort in them. Why do we do this? Because we know that though they have the capacity for all of this pain, they are also the place where joy is multiplied. Deep, serious joy is rarely, if ever, a product of complete solitude. Now, I know some of you moms with young kids might dispute that last statement, right? But it's, joy is expressed and found and deepened with people. I remember a few, or many years ago now, I, I, was in, I got to visit the city of Prague. I was supposed to go with someone else, and they decided to get a, a ticket back a day before and didn't tell me, so I spent the day by myself in Prague. Prague's a beautiful city, an amazing city, and you know what I did the entire time? I wish someone else was there with me. Like, I was like, oh, I wish, I, I wish Carrie was here. Like, you're seeing beauty, you're seeing wonder, and you don't have anyone to tell about it. Like, isn't that great? Random person walking down the street. Like, <laughs> joy is deepened in relationships. But what's the basis for relationships? It's trust. Right? If you don't have trust, you can't be open and honest. The depth of your relationship is directly proportional to your ability to trust the person with how you feel. So joy is multiplied in relationships, but only in relationships that are built on trust. Now look at verse 4. 
For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. Everything God says is true, and everything he does matches up with what he says. God will never deceive you or lead you astray. He never says one thing and then does something else. He doesn't lie or go back on his promises. Now, who else can you say that about? I know one. Because all of us fail on these two accounts. First, we all say things that are not true, whether intentional or unintentional. And second, we all do things that don't match up with what we say. None of us are perfectly consistent. But God never fails on these accounts. You can trust what God says, and you can trust what He does. You never have to guess or wonder. God's moods never change. God doesn't forget about a promise He made. Not only that, but verse 5 tells us he loves to do what is right. Like, he loves to be fair and honest. He loves to make right decisions. And he loves to love. All around us, we see this evidence of God's love. Like, we are alive today. Why? Because God loves to love us. The sun rose this morning. Why? Because God loves to love us. There are new babies in this building. Why? Because God loves to love us. Some of us will open the door to our house this morning when we get back and a dog will come running up and he'll be so delighted to see us as if we've been gone for days. Why? Because God loves to love us. Some of you have cats. Why? I don't know. Listen, the, the evidence of his unfailing love is everywhere we look. But of course, the greatest evidence of his unfailing love is Jesus, that God's own son entered humanity, lived a perfect life, then died in our place so that we could be forgiven of our sin. On the night that Jesus was born, God sent a, a, a choir of angelic beings to serenade a group of shepherds with a song of good news. And he, they said that this good news they were singing about would be a source of great joy for all people because that very night God's Son would take on flesh and become a human also that He could restore us back to God. Now, I love this. I love that the first song, that this first song about Jesus was sung to shepherds. Now, we, we think of shepherds sort of in a modernized way. You know, they, they look sort of clean and friendly, maybe even sort of regal in the pictures. Shepherds were lowly, unimportant men working a third shift job for poor wages. Shepherds were dirty and they smelled like manure. But this good news of great joy is for all people. Verse 5 says it fills the whole earth. If that's true, if this really is good news of great joy for all people, if the good news of God's unfailing love and His desire for us to delight in Him is for all people, it fills all the earth, then isn't it remarkable? Maybe what better way to demonstrate it than it first being sung to a group of nameless, reputationless shepherds out in a field late at night. Friend, this good news is for you too. 
And the good news is that if you turn from your sin to God, who never lies or deceives, that he promises a joy you can't imagine. Listen, there is, there is no path to joy that leads around Jesus. Right? Like, the, like the center of a bike wheel where like all of the spokes meet Jesus is the center of all joy. Like all joy proceeds from him and all are invited to him. So we can rejoice because God can be trusted that his message about Jesus and his work on the cross are an invitation to all people to come to him and find delight. Here's a second reason. He created all things. He created all things. Who would know more about how to make you happy than the person who made you? So there's an old tale about Henry Ford coming upon a man trying to fix his car on the side of the road. So Ford pulled up behind him and he, he joined him looking underneath the hood of, of the vehicle. And unlike me, he knew what he was looking at. And he, he reached in, he turned a couple things, fixed other things. Then he said to the man, he said, why don't you hop in your car and try to start? And the man hops in and it fires right up. So the man gets out of the car and sort of in amazement looks at Henry Ford and he's like, how, how did you do that? And that's when, at least as the story goes, Ford introduced himself and he said, I made the car. I know how it works and I can fix it. God made this world. He knows how it works and only he can fix it. Look at verse 6. It says, the heavens were made, how? By the word of the Lord. And all the stars, by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Now, it's really interesting how the psalmist ends verse 7. He's always talking about God placing the deep waters in a storehouse, a storehouse we would call a warehouse. So who puts items in a warehouse? Like, can you just take some of your, the junk from your attic, drive down to Costco or Sam's Club, put something on a shelf and say, don't touch that. I'll be back when I need it. But, like, the only person who puts stuff in a warehouse is the person who owns the stuff, who owns the warehouse. Now, why does he put them there? Well, you put stuff in a warehouse so that you can retrieve it and use it when you want it, when you need it. And so, he's saying here in somewhat poetic way that God owns the waters in the deepest parts of the sea, the, the parts of the sea where no man has ever explored. God owns those waters and he has set them there. And if he ever needs them, he can retrieve them and use them as he sees fit. So, if this is true of the waters, the very depths of the sea, it is true of all things. We belong to God and we have been created to serve his purposes. And so here's the question that I think you need to consider. Will you be happier serving your own agenda or God's? Will you find more joy doing what you were made to do or doing something contrary to your nature and purpose? See, so often people talk about trying to find the purpose in their life, but they try to discover it without consulting the one who made them. Like he knows what he's doing. He can fix what's wrong. And his call to joy is a call to trust that if he made you with a simple word, then his words are what will guide you to joy. So I want you to think for a moment about one of your just happiest moments. 
Now listen, I, that's not, I'm, I really want you to do this. So don't just nod at me and say like, oh, okay. No, really, think about a happy moment, really happy moment. So wedding, you know, child being born, graduation from high school, first time you went to Walt Disney World. Scott Schauberg had five pars in a row the other day on a golf course. He told me that was his happiest moment. Whatever the happiest moment, like I really want you to, okay, think about it. Have you done that? Are you, are you awake? Close your eyes if you want, as long as you open them again momentarily. Like, think about this happy moment, like a moment of joy, a moment of laughter, a moment of delight. Okay, can you picture that moment? Now, now I want you to try to remember a little bit about it. How did it, what did, what did you hear? What did you see? What did you smell? Now, here's what I want you to think about. God made it all. He made the people with you. He made the activity you were doing. He made the location you were in. He made the light that illuminated the space. He made the sound waves that entered your ear. He made those little tiny parts of your ear that somehow take those sound waves and turn them into something intelligible. He made laughter and tears. He made smiles and flushed cheeks. Like every single detail of your most joyful moment was made by God. And he calls you to joy. He says, rejoice in me. Because I made you and I made joy. And here's my plan for you, my child. I want to fill your life with delight. Reason number three. He reigns over all nations. It sometimes seems to us that our joy can be hindered or stopped by circumstances outside of us, especially by those who oppose God and His work. And here God assures us that that he's in charge of everything, God says, so that no one can stop what he intends to do. Those who oppose God's work will fail. Even if they appear powerful, even if they appear mighty, they can't stop what God is going to do. Look at verse 8. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. So June is called Pride Month. This is where sinful lifestyles that oppose God's plan are celebrated. If you've been to a restaurant or a store, turned on the TV, you've seen that this month. And and we need to understand that everywhere we look right now, we're being presented with an alternate reality. So we're being told, listen, God doesn't know what he's doing. His restrictive rules are what will lead you to despair. That if you will simply cast off his restraints, that's when you will truly find joy that you so desperately long for. And so here's what we've got to do. We've got to ask ourselves, what version of reality will I embrace? Because these are two different competing explanations of reality. And so the one that the nations are promoting is one of complete self-autonomy, that each person can determine their own future, but they can determine their own set of facts, their own reality. So I can define who I am. I can define my gender I can define my sexuality, I can define my truth, and no one can tell me otherwise because I know what will make me happy. Do you know what will make you happy? 
if that were true, why is everyone so miserable? Why is everyone so desperate? And so here's what the psalmist is urging us to do. He's urging us to compare what God says and does with what those in positions of power and influence say and do. So what, what, when God speaks, what happens? Well, the world comes into being. Everything God says, everything God does outlasts generations. Can we say the same things about kings and presidents and movie stars and politicians and influencers? Can we say the same thing even about nations themselves? Do they last forever? A couple of times in our Reborn student ministry, they've played a game where they're, they're divided into groups, and each group is given a bag of marshmallows and a box of spaghetti noodles. And they're given a certain amount of time, and the, the game is to build the largest sort of freestanding structure you can um, during that time. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's, it's quite amazing the things that are built with marshmallows and, and spaghetti noodles. But you know what? As amazing as they were, none of them were standing by the end of the night. I guarantee none of them are still standing. In fact, you, you can find no evidence of their existence. Why? Well, because they were built with marshmallows and spaghetti. Here we're being told that those in positions of power and influence encourage you to build your life with marshmallow and spaghetti, right? To build your future dreams on lies that cannot support reality. Like every alternate reality will snap as, as, as fast as a dry noodle, right? It, it cannot hold up to the weight of real life. So what are some of the lies that the nations or the culture around us tell us will make us happy? Well, they're the very same lies that were whispered by a serpent in the garden. They're just repackaged slightly for every new generation. It's the lust of the flesh, that, that if you want it, take it, and it will make you happy. Whatever you feel like doing, don't deny your feelings. Whatever you feel like doing, do it, and you'll be happy. It's the lust of the eyes, that you alone, your vision, your perception determines what is true and what is beautiful and what is good, that you're the ultimate judge of what will satisfy you. It's the pride of life. No one can tell you what to do. Like, you know best, you're in charge, you determine your reality. Now listen, as a church, as brothers and sisters, we need to recognize the form that these lies take in our generation. We need to help each other see them, warn each other about them, help each other notice the, the influence they have on our own lives, and together stand on the counsel of God's Word. We just finished this weekend a Redeemer 101, a new members class, and in there we talk about the church covenant, how we covenant with each other to protect and care for each other. This is one way we do how am I building my life? How am I breathing in the lies of our culture, the things that say this is really how you find happiness? Like we see it in each other and we warn each other and we help each other and we pray for each other. You see, the only way we find joy living in the midst of a world that has gone mad is by remembering and reminding each other that God is still in charge. 
that his counsel is still relevant and authoritative. Do we believe that the word God wrote 2,000 years ago is still relevant today, that God understood and knew exactly what we would face and what he said then has not gone out of date? I mean, we do believe that, but do we really believe that? You know what we do? We do what each past generation of Christians has done. We listen to God and no one else. Here's the final reason to rejoice. He watches over His people. God watches over His people. We belong to God. We are His possession, chosen by His grace, given to His Son, sealed by His Spirit. He watches over and protects those who belong to Him. I want you to listen to this assurance we receive of God's care for us. Look at verse 12. It says, Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He has chosen to be His own possession. Stop for just a moment. That is not here referring to some sort of ethnic group. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us it is the church of Jesus Christ that is a holy nation of people for his own possession. So don't take this, this verse and apply it to America or some other country. This is applied to those who are purchased by the blood of Jesus, his people. We are his possession, a set-apart people for him. This is also why we take the gospel across national boundaries and call people brothers, new brothers and sisters to faith in him. Look at verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the heart of them all. He considers all their works. Three times the psalmist repeats the word all. God gazes on all the inhabitants. He forms the heart of them all and considers all their works. Listen, you matter to God. You are included in this all Maybe you came to church this morning stung by rejection that someone you thought loved you has acted as if you don't exist. Maybe you feel overlooked and unnoticed. Maybe you wonder if anyone cares. Maybe you've even had thoughts that no one might notice if you were gone, if you were no longer here. Three times God says all. He's assuring you that He sees you that he knows what's going on in your heart, that what everyone else may be oblivious to, he notices. Let me just say to my Redeemer family, this is why we must see people, why we must not overlook those who maybe are easy to overlook, that we don't cater to those who are influential or those who are successful as if they matter more. Like our eyes must be open to those around us to see them, to really see them, to notice them because we are to represent God's care. God sees you. And so we look to Him to find joy. Now what is it that prevents joy? I mean, it's easy for us to say it's our circumstances. Like if, if this had this diagnosis or this person or this thing had to happen or maybe when this stops or maybe when this, then we'll have joy. Maybe, maybe we think it's, it's these rules that God has put in place. Like these would just change. If I, if I just ignored these, this is where I find joy. Listen, the silver bullet with the power to destroy your joy is sin. That's it. Like that's the entire list. It's a list of one. 
So the only real way to find joy is to find victory over sin. So how can we do that? Well, here's a few ideas. Maybe if you had a a position of power and influence, right? So so people weren't telling you what to do. You got to tell people what to do. Like, then, then you would be happy. Or, or maybe if you were strong and you were successful and you, maybe you could really accomplish your goals and you could, you could get what it is you want, then you would be happy. Maybe if you just had the resources, that's, that's what it is, a lack of resources. So, you know, a little better job, a little more money, just a better situation. If you had that, then you'd be happy. In other words, is there something you can do? Is there some effort you can make, some goal you can achieve that that would produce joy? Look at verse 16. A king. Oh, there's, a, there's someone with influence. Kings probably have lots of followers on Instagram. Listen, he's not saved by a large army. A warrior. Listen, every little boy wants to be a warrior powerful, successful, admired, respected, a warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse. What was true back then is true now. Horses are expensive, right? And you have horses, they're expensive. But you want them because like a lot faster than walking. You don't want to ride on your mule, right? So you want a horse. You want the resources that can afford a horse. Well, the horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. So no achievement, no success, no position can make you happy. Why? Because none of these things can help you escape your sin. So how can you escape your sin? How can you find relief from joy-killing failure inside? Look at verse 18. But look, The Lord keeps His eye on those who fear Him, those who depend on His faithful love, to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. The faithful love of God demonstrated through Jesus rescues us from death and gives us life even when circumstances are dark and and fearful. We trust in God who is always watching over His people. Do you realize that there are a few phrases that God has never said? God has never said, I missed it. Oh, just couldn't keep my eyes open. Sorry, I just got distracted for a moment. You know, I really wasn't paying attention. See, God is always watching, and God is always working, and this is why Verse 19 says, even in famine. What's famine? I mean, we don't think about famine. We got Taco Bell and McDonald's. They're open 24 hours. Cookout. I mean, you'll be in the line for 45 minutes, but eventually you get a lot of food for cheap. We don't think about famine. I mean, it's just, it's not even a concept we consider. What is famine? It's, I don't know if we have enough food to live the rest of the day. It's the widow who says, we're going to eat our last food, then we're going to lay down and hopefully we'll die in our sleep. It'll be less painful that way. And here's what the psalmist says, even in famine, we trust the Lord to rescue us from death. God is always watching, 
even when we don't know when our, where our next meal comes from or how we'll make it through. So the psalm began with a command to rejoice in God. Then it gave us all of these reasons to find joy in Him. And here's what I want you to see. And more than that, I want you to feel the great confidence that ends this psalm. Verse 21, For our hearts rejoice in Him because we trust in His holy name. May Your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in You. What will make you happy? What we think will make us happy is where we place our hope. So I'm going on vacation this week. Will it make me happy? I've been on some vacations that did not make me happy. I was once on a vacation on the side of the road. Two vehicles, both were on jacks. It was the least happy moment I could ever remember. So will vacation make me happy? Not if I'm hoping in vacation to make me happy. What do you hope will make you happy? Apart from Jesus, it's marshmallows and spaghetti noodles. It cannot hold the weight of your dreams and expectations. But if you put your hope in Him, in His watchful eye, in His faithful love, in His sovereign rule, in His kind and gracious words... If this is where you seek happiness, you will find it. Remember that God is more committed to your joy than you are. And so listen to Him, trust Him, find delight in His love. So Redeemer, I want to put these final words on the screen. And I want to ask you to read them aloud with me together. And, and here's how I want you to think about them as we read them. I want you to think about surrounded by these people who love you and care about you. Surrounded by your brothers and sisters, these are a statement of faith. These are vows that we're making to the Lord and to each other. These are a commitment that we're not going to put our hope in our accomplishments. We're not going to put our hope in our achievements, in our strength, in our resources. We are going to put our hope in Jesus. And we'll do so with great confidence knowing that is the path that leads to joy. So read these with great confidence and great volume together as a way to encourage our own hearts and the hearts of those around us. For our hearts rejoice in Him because we trust in His holy name. May Your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in You. That was weak. So you're going to stand up and we're going to say it again with great volume and great enthusiasm. Are we ready to try that again? Okay. For our hearts rejoice in Him because we trust in His holy name. May Your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in You. Now pray with me. Father, our hope is not in our accomplishments, it's not in our achievements. It's not in what we can do, what we can gain. It's not in experiences we can have, places we can visit, friends we can make. All of these things are good gifts to you. There are things we can delight in, but they are worthless as a foundation for joy. And so, Lord, protect us from placing our hope and our confidence and our dreams and our desires for joy in these things which cannot bear the weight of reality. 
Instead, Lord, help us to find and place our hope in you, to find our hope in Jesus Christ, Jesus, whom the angels sing about, Jesus, whose glory will one day fill the whole earth, Jesus, who never fails us, Jesus, who died to rescue us from the sin which kills our joy. So, Father, help us like the psalmist with great confidence say we rejoice in hope and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.